If you would mind, remain standing as I read from the Scripture this morning coming out of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I forgot my glasses, so I'll need somebody in the front row to hold this. Um, Beginning at verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of knowledge and also to the madness and folly. But I learned this too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom come much comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. These are the very words of the Lord. You can have a seat. Oh, sorry. Good morning. My name is Scott uh, Hare, and I am the pastor at Riverside, a daughter congregation of this beautiful place. Uh, always an incredible privilege to be back here and to um, just share with you, a larger part of our family, all the things that are going on and, and to take part in the beauty of the kingdom that's being spread uh, out of the faithfulness of your heart. And so it's a beautiful thing to be back here uh, and to see friends and to make some new ones. Those of you that are new friends are wondering why I left my shoes up by my seat. Uh, my mom also wonders that. Um, now, here's the thing. Uh, years ago, I preached about Moses. And when I was preaching about Moses, I preached about the burning bush. You may remember that the first thing that God says to Moses when he comes from the burning bush is... Awesome. Okay, this is so helpful because you're going to respond. So that's good. Uh, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground, right? And so I, I was trying to make the point simply about that by not wearing my shoes that Sunday. And the point that I made was every time we gather together, our prayer should be that it's sacred ground, holy ground, right? And so a way that we could remember that, a way that I thought about that was to take off your shoes. You should prepare yourself for that. You should pray for that. Uh, and of course, in the Bible, everybody does something as a prayer. So the way you do that maybe in this case, would be to take your shoes off. I also thought it would be really helpful as a pastor that I remembered that every time I got in front of a group of people that I remembered that it was holy ground, that I had a check in my heart to be careful when you walk into that space. And so maybe I should do that too. So I did that. The next week I put my shoes back on because that's what you do. At the end of the message that Sunday, the following, I walked down the little steps where I was preaching and I was met by a five-year-old girl with perfect little curly hair and a pink headband and a little dress. And she stood there, and I thought, oh, how cute, but I didn't know how deadly. Because they are five-year-old girls. And so I, I leaned down to her, and I did my best sweet pastor moment, you know. Hi, sweetheart, how are you? You know. Uh, and she looked up at me, and she said, good. Isn't it holy ground today, too? And I said, uh-huh. And she said, then why are you wearing your shoes? And to be honest with you, she must have been a guest, a family friend, something like that. I've never seen that little girl again in my life, but I'm kind of terrified of her. So if you're here, my shoes are off. I just want you to know. She's, she's circling. I can feel it. Uh, but that's really wanted. I, I really want to live into that. And so that's a part of what I do. And I hope 
uh, that that's okay with you. This morning we talk about Solomon. Now you're trying to think, why Solomon? Some of you know that traditionally he's written Ecclesiastes. Kohelet is the Hebrew for the writer of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is an amazing book, very intense, very beautiful to read. But often if you do read it, it seems just excruciatingly depressing. Everything that I've ever done is completely meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun. And this sort of constant uh, barrage of no matter what you do, how you do it, how you get it out there, it's just going to be a disaster. So why even worry about it? It's meaningless. Achieve everything and you have nothing is what Solomon seems to be saying over and over. And so it's not really like a grab it in the morning and get cheerful kind of thing. It, It just isn't. It's not a sparker. Um, in some ways, and in some ways, it may be one of the most extraordinary reads of your life. Ecclesiastes is beautiful in some ways and really difficult in others. Solomon is a guy that when I was growing up as, as a kid, Solomon was one of those people that I want to be as wise as King Solomon. I'm pretty sure that we even had a song about it, although if I would remember it, I'm not going to sing it to you because that would be brutal. But there's this kind of picture, right, of King Solomon and he's wise and we all want to be wise. And, and you remember the story when he's going to become king and, and God says, you know, what, what do you want in prayer? What do you want? And God's going to give him a gift so that he can be a really great king. And Solomon says, give me wisdom. And God is pleased with his prayer. As a kid, I loved that. I love the idea that there might be just one moment that God was pleased with my prayer. Of course, I've come to know that regardless of how broken or beautiful my prayer is, like a great father, God is always pleased. Solomon, though, kind of gets this funny backhanded compliment by God when he prays for wisdom. He says, basically, yes, great prayer. Uh, It's almost, it's kind of second place. It's sort of, it would be better if you prayed something else, but that's a good one. It's sort of a language. It's very strange. I mean, at one point, Solomon would be kind of excited because God was pleased with his prayer. And at another point, he's thinking, well, what was better? Like, you know, how how could I have done that a little bit better? But there's this kind of funny thing in Solomon where he's battling basically that question most of his life. I want to do it a little bit better. I want to be the first. I want to get out in there. Because see, what I've discovered is that when you read Ecclesiastes, or at least when this was written, If the tradition is correct, and I believe that it was, that Solomon wrote this, that at this time in his life, he's dealing with some things that you and I might deal with. I know I do. Uh, You and I might deal with that are interestingly almost counter to the way that I grew up. That Solomon was wise and good. And I'm not sure, in fact, I am sure he wasn't always. In fact, it's really interesting As the king of Israel, he is intended not to do some things. There's some Torah, some instructions, some biblical law that he's supposed to avoid, like trading for horses. And if Solomon's known for much, he's known for all of the horses that he traded for. He's definitely not supposed to have anything to do with Egypt, and yet he marries an Egyptian princess. Solomon, it looks to me like he read all of the law of the Torah, and then figured it was probably for everyone else. He seems to blow it. He's got thousands of wives, billions of dollars, incredible power. He does everything that a humble king might not do. It's almost like he's living the opposite life of his father. I don't have my father's heart, so I'm going to have everything he didn't. 
and we'll start with the temple. It's fascinating to wonder about. Okay? So you get into this and you start to wonder, maybe Ecclesiastes, at least on one level, may begin to show us how not to experience the world. Or at least maybe that's how we can approach it. At least that's how we're about to. <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Solomon uh, is, is fascinatingly self-focused. If you want to know, okay, if you're, if you're generally miserable, because one of the things about Solomon is we all know him, right? You all know him, or maybe like me, you kind of fall into being him sometimes. He's generally dissatisfied with a mind-blowingly luxurious life. He has everything. He, in, the, in, the, in the culture of our world where we really think that people that have the most money are most blessed by God, which is crazy, uh, when, we, when we actually believe that, we just kind of click into it almost subconsciously, that we have like this, this feeling that somebody like Solomon, if there was a race or if there was a competition for life, like Solomon won. He is a winner. And by the way, whenever you see that particular kind of winner in the Bible, watch out. Okay. Now, by the way, don't... Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Here's this picture, right? That Solomon has got everything. But we, like I said, we know that, that person. You know? The person that has the jets and the stuff, or even, even less than that, the person like me that, that lives with a full knowledge of the poverty that's, that's in Mexico or in the third world or, or in my backyard sometimes or whatever it might be, and yet I find myself generally dissatisfied with the level that my steak was cooked. I, I do this, right? I find myself kind of, and I get whiny, hard, Right? And I try to figure out, how is it that I have the privilege of knowing the radical, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ? Penetrating deeply in my life by, the, by His grace and an invested knowledge of knowing the Bible and being able to pray in an open and consistent way all the time, and yet I fall into the same kind of trap. How is it? How can I diagnose what's actually happening in my mind so that I might not feel miserable in the middle of blessing? Does that make sense? All right. So here's a few things that I've learned from Solomon. And that I believe that we can hear God's heart beating even in us. The first is this. When we read this little piece of scripture, you notice how many times Solomon says, I, me, or my. It's brutal. I have achieved this. I am this guy. Basically, Solomon says, and because we know he's like Solomon the Great, we don't have a reaction to it. But if I came in here and I basically said, good morning, my name is Scott Hare, and I'm the best pastor you've ever seen. I know the Bible better than anyone you've ever heard of. I am faster, smarter, and cooler than anyone you'll ever meet. And I'm generally dissatisfied. All of those things are probably true, by the way. No, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I wish my daughter was in here. She'd crawl under the seat right now. Um, but here, here's this thing, right? Solomon has this really funny thing, and it reminds me of one of my favorite stories. There's a man, and he has decided to go and visit one of the wisest men of all time. And he gets an audience. He gets an opportunity to visit with him. And he goes in, and he's sitting, and he's waiting, and there's a lot of people in the room. Uh, and so this man is speaking to different people. He's receiving letters. He's a relatively busy guy, but what he's really well known for is how kind of beautiful his heart is. 
And so he's sitting there when he receives this letter. And the letter is read aloud. He's starting to lose the sight. The letter is read aloud to him. Uh, and it, as it's read, basically it's, it's a question from someone that knows him but is in a really bad place. And they say, basically, uh, everything is falling apart. Uh, I, I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have these other things. I'm really in a bad place and all these other kinds of things. I, the world is rotten around me, you know, this kind of stuff. And I fall into this. I don't know if you do, but I fall into this. Uh, you know, sometimes way too easily. But he's reading this letter, and this wise, faithful man, he takes the letter, he puts it down on his desk, he says nothing, he picks up a pen, he sort of circles one word throughout the letter, hands it back, and says, please return to sender. You know what word he circled? Yeah, I. One of the things that happens to us, one of the pieces that we can discern about ourselves when we find ourselves surrounded by beauty, significance even, freedom, luxury, which is what generally we sit in in this country, is that when we feel dissatisfied or a little bit, in my case, whiny, most of the time, it's because there's a whole lot of I and me and my sitting right down inside me. The breakthrough potential is when I begin to not be so focused on myself. I came to um, a friend uh, one time years ago and was in a real bad place uh, and was trying to help get him to help me figure out how I was going to untie all the knots in my life. And I waited, and I, I mean, he, let, he, he waited and listened to me tell my whole story, and then finally he gave me some great advice. I was waiting for him to tell me how to fix this relationship or do this financial thing or whatever it was. Uh, and he just waited quietly, and when I finished, he said, I want you to go serve the homeless. I was like, how in the world is that going to help me? He goes, I want you to go serve the homeless. He says, well, what? I mean, just do it. But I'm like, just, so I did I just went out. I, I didn't have like a ministry to go to because I wanted to get it done because I'm that way. So I just made a bunch of lunches uh, and I went out and found homeless people and handed them the lunch. You know what happened? It shifted. No longer was it so focused on me, but I saw that I had this potential to take care of a larger story. Of all people, Solomon should have been a king focused on a kingdom. But he was focused on the king. Are we focused on the king? So Solomon then it gives some, some more stuff. He's, he does this thing that is <laughs> entertaining to me only because it becomes so personal so fast. Uh, but Solomon uh, says all this great stuff about himself. You know, he's done all these amazing things. He's got all this amazing stuff. He's the best king that's ever was. I mean, this is his kind of deal. And, and he does. He has amazing well, everything. He's got everything. And he's in a, a major complaint mode. There's one thing that he doesn't have, though, and it actually could be something that would help us kind of move out of this stuff as well. What he doesn't have is gratefulness. Like Solomon is the most ungrateful person, at least in this moment, that you will ever see. Basically, Solomon says, I have all this stuff and it's meaningless. 
Imagine how different it would be if he said, I have all this stuff and I'm so stinking grateful. How that changes our heart when we move from trying to find meaning in things and begin to find meaning in our character or more than that in love. It's one of the things we try to figure out how to teach our kids. I'm not sure how well we're doing. We have four children, 14, 11, 7, and 5. I should probably try to remember their names. Uh, and um, when we go out to eat, um, people don't like to see us coming. It is crazy town. Uh, we have three boys and one girl. My sweet girl can handle herself very well until she has to beat one of her brothers. My oldest son tries to ignore everything until the two youngest monkeys are just so terrorizing to him that he has to react. The two little boys eat so fast that you don't actually believe that the plate has hit the ground. Sometimes, I think because of the mayhem, just in the waiting area, much less at the table, what we should probably do is just drive by and throw money at the restaurant. And everything would be like, it would be fine. Kathy and I would have about the same experience. Uh, The kids wouldn't remember anything. It's crazy. Right? We go to restaurants and it is an insane experience at times. And we're going to grow out of it. I know that. We're working hard. But we have a problem uh, sometimes when we go out to eat. What's worse than that is we'll have one of these really bad experiences where everything, like, I don't know if you ever do this, but you know that if you open your mouth or if your spouse opens her mouth, you're going to fight. It doesn't matter. She says, you know, I just love you so much. You would say that right now. I mean, it doesn't even matter what they say. You're so wound up. That's how that's going to go down. We got into the car after one of these crazy experiences. The car is kind of quiet. I'm not going to. I'm pretty sure that I I got the big crazy dad thing on just to silence the van. Uh, And so that we're rolling down the road and it's really quiet. We've had this crazy experience. It was some fast food place, which we did it really fast. And as we're driving away, all I can think about is I can't believe we even try this anymore. And my youngest son goes, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, buddy. And he goes, where are we going to eat for dinner? I did really well not to say anything, but only because Kathy grabbed my arm and squeezed it really tight. Because I wanted to blow up. What do you mean? You didn't even eat your lunch. You know, I wanted to lose my mind. But we do this really weird thing. We find ourselves dissatisfied. We're given everything, surrounded by all the love and hope that we can handle. And the only thing that we can think about is what's next. What a strange life Solomon leads, right? Or maybe it's familiar. Maybe the thing we need to begin to figure out is how to be grateful. What if we practiced being grateful. What would it look like to say things, even right now, like, I can't believe that I get to go to church in such a beautiful place. Look at the stained glass, the detail of the artistry. Have you thought about lately the the workmanship that's here on these kneelers, all hand done by people that love God for you and I to pray on? Or if you look at your um, bulletin, somebody went through and probably Ruth Ann or one of her team and figured out Salvador Dali's painting of King Solomon is this rich, amazing, beautiful thing. There's an investment that the church makes to make sure that you have a beautiful version of that on your bulletin. You hear Mary Lou and Mr. Klein play these beautiful, incredibly intricate and difficult things. And the prayers that are written in your bulletin 
have been poured over so that they might connect both with us today and reach back across the ancient table and find home in the hearts of those whose shoulders we stand on. We're in here with people that we love and people that we even don't know yet but share our heart. The beauty of this place is extraordinary. What would it be like if we could be grateful just to come? Gratefulness in our families. Gratefulness in our homes. Gratefulness for our jobs. Gratefulness changes our hearts and removes us from places where meaninglessness is the punctuation on our sentences. Final thing. Um, Solomon hasn't figured out one of the most beautiful and important things in the world yet. I don't know if that he ever did. And it's this. To really find deep peace and satisfaction in the world, it's not about what we take out of the world. It's about what we put in it. By the grace of God. One of my favorite stories uh, is uh, of a, a gentleman who's did incredible in business. He made so much money, it was crazy. You know those guys that just sort of, or women that just sort of have this touch, they have this ability. Things flow their way and they just always have the idea at the right time in the right place and the right words that make things go. And this guy had made millions and millions of dollars, more money than he could ever spend in a lifetime by the time he was about 40 years old. And he came to this place where, of course, like Solomon, he had this meaningless experience. And he began to try to discover something more. And what he discovered was this faith life that taught him something different. Because all he had ever read about is how to use or strategically maneuver his money, which was great. And he'd done a beautiful job. But that's not what faith was about. Faith wasn't about uh, the strategy of your money. Faith was about the understanding of how to live your life. And he began to find a deeper way of understanding life. So he got so kind of intense and beautiful and passionate about his faith and his finances that he began to be one of these really amazing people that were both incredibly generous, incredibly faithful, and incredibly loving. You know, like this. We, we all know them, right? They're just amazing folks. And as he lived this life out, he was, you know, getting older. And a young guy that really thought he'd figured it out came to him and said, Hey, listen, like, how did you do this? Tell me, how did you, how did you get to this place? And he said, Well, I'll tell you. And he shared with him his story. And then as he was leaving, he had an extra question. He said, Look, I hate to ask, but I'm just really curious. It's a little strange, but... Oh, you're incredibly wealthy. You seem so comfortable with it. Do you know how much you're worth? And he thought about it. After a few minutes, he gave him a number. Because he knew what he was asking. And the guy was shocked by the number because it was so low. And he couldn't help himself, so he blurted it out. He's like, I thought, I thought you'd be like 10 times that. What everybody says is, give me good grief, or even 20 times that from all the things that I know you've done. 
And he goes, oh, wait, we, we may be talking about two different things here. I said, what do you mean? So why don't you tell me what you meant when you asked me the question, how much you're worth? He said, well, I meant, like, how much money do you have, land, property, like, how much you're worth? He said, oh, see, I had a different understanding of worth. The number that I told you was the number that I have given away this year, the number that I've shared. Now, for him, what had happened was a massive transition in his heart and life where he had moved from being a person that was doing everything he could to accumulate to actually valuing his own life based on what he gave to the world. That shift is a kingdom-building, shaking shift that we don't have to wait for some point to get to. You can even hear it in here. Well, if I had that much money, I would too. Guess what? You're invited regardless of how much money you have. Some of the greatest money a church ever gets is a $10 check from a single mom that has devoted herself in obedience to what she can do. Or a child that gets 20 bucks and gives two because they know what a tithe is. There's beauty and power and hope and shaping that we can give. Teach your kids to do these things and what you'll find is they won't be constantly dissatisfied because they understand that the world isn't about what you get, which will pass. It's about what you share, which is eternal. Some of what Solomon does teaches us at least in this moment, what not to do. Jesus actually shows us what to do. He comes along and it's really crazy. It's no longer not only not about him, but he'll make you crazy if you're a grammar teacher because he says, Father, 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 so many times in just one chapter in John that it's insane. I could just see my grammar teacher with a red marker. You're using Father too much. You need to try another pronoun. You know, Like this whole thing, right? Constantly. Is not even about him. Jesus, the Messiah, God in the earth, saying it's about something bigger than me. Gratefulness? Who's more grateful than a king that sacrifices his life in thanksgiving? Or who understands more deeply the power? And the profound transformation of what it means to give your whole life away. For the good, not only of the world, but of eternity. I love him. Just to be a little more like him. Because if we do, will find the peace that passes understanding and a satisfaction in this life that everyone will wonder about and will seem so simple and loving to you. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you come and help us to just take a step of some sort by your grace that allows us to remove ourselves from the things that keep us focused 
on ourselves in ungratefulness. And with just taking, help us. Help us to find some way to radically give ourselves away. Because it's the only answer to the pain of the world we live in. Thank you for being who you are. In Jesus' holy and precious name.